0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of our podcast series, Leadership
1: Forward. My name is Hillary Kennedy, and I'm Program Director for Medicaid Leadership at NAND. NAND is working with CHCS and the Millbank Memorial Fund to bring you this series of discussions which focus on key domains associated with successful public sector leadership. With that said, I'll pass it along for today's discussion. Enjoy.
0: Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast on Leadership Forward. Thank you for the wonderful introduction, Hillary. My name is Erica Brown, and I'm a program officer with the Millbank Memorial Fund. Today, I'm excited to be joined by two wonderful public sector leaders who are going to help us explore the domain of personal leadership and self-management. Today's conversation will focus on how our guests have put specific behaviors and skills into practice, particularly in their efforts to lead their respective agencies through the COVID pandemic, including a rapid transition to telework and perhaps coming back into the office. With that background, I'm thrilled to introduce our two esteemed guests. First, we have Jamie Snyder, Director of the Arizona Healthcare Cost Containment System. Jamie oversees Arizona's Medicaid and CHIP programs, including the provision of acute behavioral health and long-term care services. And we also have Cody Kinsley, who serves as the Deputy Secretary for Behavioral Health and Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities at the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. Cody and Jamie, welcome to our podcast. We're thrilled to hear from you today. Could you please each take a moment to introduce yourselves and provide a bit more background on your professional journeys, including how you ascended to
1: positions as public sector leaders. Jamie, let's start with you. Sure. Thanks, Erica. And thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be a a part of today's podcast. Um, So I've been in the health and human services sector for 20 plus years now. Um, Most recently, um, as you mentioned, now I serve as the access director. So the director of Arizona's Medicaid program. Prior to that, I actually served as the Medicaid director in the state of Texas. Um, And then prior to that, um, as the chief operating officer for one of Arizona's health plans, but my career has largely been a career in the public sector and over a period of, of 20 plus years I have ascended uh, to the position of director um, by the way of our behavioral health agency. I had a prior tour of duty with access um, then moved to the plan for a period of time and then served again as the director in both Texas and now in in arizona for the past 20 months
0: wonderful jamie thank you again for joining us and for providing that background seems like you have a very interesting and lengthy career as a public sector leader cody i'll turn to you do you mind sharing a little bit with us about your journey to your current position in north carolina
2: sure thank you erica it's great to be here with you and jamie today um, So my background also, like Jamie, has been mostly in the public sector. Um, However, what's different is that actually uh, taking this role was coming back to health for me. Before this, I had been the Assistant Secretary for Management at the US Department of the Treasury, um, appointed to that role by the previous administration and then carried over by the current. Um, And so my experience has really been in the sort of nuts and bolts of management and organizational leadership and design work. Uh, Prior to that, I had worked in other policy roles um, at the White House and uh, and then, some time ago at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So coming back to North Carolina was a bit about coming back to health and also coming back to my home state. Uh, I think my mother was the biggest advocate of me taking this role. But uh, I think the um, realization uh, for us and I think for my boss here was that, uh, you know, running state operated healthcare facilities and operating large financial budgets is, is really about the how and not just about the what and that we needed to have a balance of policy leadership and also having a balance of um, real operational execution and leadership in getting that work done too. So um, it's really great to be in this role. I've been here for a little over two years now. Uh, We're having a lot of fun in the work we're trying to do, and of course now we're in the middle of a -a once-in-a-century pandemic, and I think that having really good operational execution cannot be more critical uh, now than ever. So Great to talk about all that today.
0: Thank you, Cody, for sharing a little bit of your personal journey with us. And your last comment is a, is a great way to kick off our conversation uh, today to focus on personal leadership and self-management. So as public sector leaders, I imagine that the last six months have been like nothing that you've experienced in the past. So you're both responsible for leading large, complex organizations, and I believe that the day-to-day operations of those organizations were probably turned upside down in March when COVID hit. So one of the key competencies in the domain that we're talking about today is resiliency. So I'll start out by asking each of you to talk about how you found a balance between addressing urgent needs with COVID and focusing on long-term work and long-term recovery.
1: So Jamie, let's start with you. Sure. Yeah and I really think it Erica it all comes down to that that uh, competency of resiliency right Um, in the midst of a really kind of chaotic and frenetic environment it's so important as a leader um, to uh, maintain some level of calm and instill a sense of organizational stability um, for your team i mean it's it's absolutely essential in terms of maintaining a functional organization that continues to adhere to its mission vision, values, and strategic priorities. And as a director of the agency here in Arizona, it became really apparent to me early on um, in the public health emergency that I was going to be one of the few people within the organization that um, could really attend to um, those key um, functions of the organization in terms of in particular, uh, remaining attentive to our strategic priorities. Others, even deputy directors, within the organization were really busy from the onset with day-to-day activities and ensuring that we were uh, making program adjustments to uh, maintain our two core principles of maintaining member access to care, as well as the ongoing viability of our provider community. And so resiliency was really a a competency that I had to practice at my level in order to, um, again, create that sense of organizational stability, Calm so that they could effectively do their jobs.
0: That's fantastic. Um, so, so, Jamie, certainly creating a sense of organizational stability in Calm uh, was critical, not only for you, it sounds like, but also for your team and helping them to get through this very difficult circumstance. Cody, I know that in North Carolina, you took on uh, a a new role when COVID hit. So can you talk about what this experience has been like for you in managing both the work that you were doing prior to COVID, taking on a new role, and how you were able to be resilient throughout this entire process?
2: Yeah, so I think that... um Similar to what Jamie was saying, in the sense that some folks have to be drafted into the incident command structure, if you will, in events like this. Um, I was drafted in into kind of guiding operations across various COVID deployment aspects. I think that one of the things that has been really helpful to me is that we had invested as a team a lot of time into strategic planning, visioning, and coming up with the actual month-over-month work plan about what we wanted to do to support behavioral health and wellness in North Carolina. And so the team had a bit of a roadmap that they could continue to use. And I think very quickly we realized that you know, COVID didn't necessarily change the priorities. If anything, it just maybe exacerbated some of the gaps that were already there. And I think we're seeing that across a lot of health systems. So the team had a way to keep moving forward. I think what was critical for me was to continue to reinforce the don't get distracted, you, you know, you have been drafted in, you have not, this is what you need to focus on. And having really crisp roles and responsibilities about who's doing what. Uh, And I think the other really important thing any leader has to do in a situation like this, um, and I think public sector leaders um, grow very good at this over time, is being able to say, no, we're not gonna do this right now, right? We have to make choices. We can't just continue to stretch our people around things that cannot be encompassed when you have limited resources and a lot of stuff that needs to happen. And so being able to say no, or being able to say not right now, I think is one of the most critical roles as any leader in a public sector organization.
1: And, and just to tag on to that, I think that's so important. It's so important not only for the organization, but for the morale of your staff to be able to say over the course of this period where you're consumed by this sort of singular priority, um, we're going to put certain things aside and allow you to to focus as, as you need to.
0: Jamie, thanks so much. That's an excellent point. And and Cody, thank you for sharing the importance of having a strategic plan in place that enabled you and your staff to move forward. Um, Jamie, I suspect that one of the challenges, even with the the best and most well-thought-out strategic plan, is anticipating, um, you know, how COVID has so fundamentally change the work that you're doing. So as a state Medicaid director, uh, you've had the responsibility of making incredibly significant changes to a very complex program in record time. And in addition to resiliency, technical learning is a key part of strong personal leadership and self-management. And I I would guess that you and your staff have had to refine your technical skills very quickly. Uh, What has that experience been like and how have you supported your staff in making these uh, very big changes to a state Medicaid program?
1: Sure. Well, I will tell you, this pandemic paired with social unrest and the economic downturn has really required a level of technical learning for me and my team that is certainly Um, unprecedented in my career. Um, Upon the onset of the public health emergency, we were faced with modifying existing program requirements at really an unprecedented pace and in a manner that that really wasn't known to the agency uh, previously. Our agency really prides itself on being very rule-oriented and providing a clear structure um, for all stakeholders in our universe, including managed care organizations, providers, um, advocacy organizations and so forth, and this public health emergency, the pandemic, really forced us to think outside of the box, right, and create a new framework um, that was, again, attentive to those two principles of maintaining member access to care and the ongoing viability of our provider network, but it really required that all members of my leadership team understand the technical underpinnings of our program at perhaps a level that we haven't historically, and that was necessary in order to develop effective strategies that were really responsive to our new reality. And so the technical learning around our program infrastructure was was critical. And then, as, as we all know, um, as time went on, the, the focus um, expanded a bit to include some, some needed work around what we're now uh, deeming to be an economic downturn. And so, again, we were faced with another opportunity for technical learning. Um, and in particular with this economic downturn, it's different from many um, recessions that we've experienced previously in that it was precipitated by a public health emergency. So those levers that we typically have available to us as a Medicaid agency um, to generate savings, changes in coverage, changes in benefits, and changes in rates, those levers are, are not readily accessible to us now. So again, um, we've had to come back to the table um, and has some conversation about creative approaches to generating savings, so that we can we can support the state as we face a pretty significant shortfall. Um, so it really has has um, provided a platform for technical learning, unlike any other, I think, for the organization.
0: That's great. And and Jamie certainly, you know getting staff to change how they think and operate in such a short period of time is not easy to do in even the best of circumstances. Uh, I imagine that, that many staff uh, working in public service have been affected not only by changes to their jobs and what they're doing, but have been deeply affected by the pandemic itself, by, as you mentioned, um, you know the, the economic downturn, certainly by the uh, acknowledgment that we have seen around the uh, increased awareness Awareness of racial health disparities in our country. And this is, has uh, certainly taken a toll on people and you know, their, their day-to-day ability to process work and to, and to process things on a personal level. So Cody, acknowledging the toll that all of those things together have taken on everyone, I know that you've spent a lot of time advocating for the importance of behavioral health, and really self-care among your staff. Can you talk a little bit about the specific initiatives and programs that you've led and how your own self-awareness influenced these initiatives?
2: Well, I, I think this is a great point that often, especially in times of crisis, leaders can forget, which is that their team are people also. And I think we were lucky in North Carolina to have two things happen early on that I think has uh, safeguarded our wellness of our teams as we move forward. First, that was um, we we saw this event as a big change management problem and what do you do when you're working through change management you communicate you communicate you communicate and even as a leader and this is hard sometimes especially in the public sector when you don't necessarily know what the answer is or what what is happening you have to be able to admit i don't know but here's what i want to tell everyone right now about what's happening and so we stood up very quickly with our teams. Um, weekly calls, sometimes more than weekly calls, big massive just Q&A sessions where I could try to make sure that everyone knew what was happening from my perspective. Sometimes the secretary joined just to try to bring folks along. I think one of the other things that happens in events like this is when you have some folks that are drafted in to the incident command and others that aren't, you kind of create this bifurcation of who knows information and who doesn't. And it's so critical that we keep all of our team members on the same page, not just because of their own well-being and knowing what's going on, but because when they're out in their communities, people don't see them as the program officer, too. People see them as a person who works in the Department of Health and Human Services, and so is going to expect them to have information about what's going on in this event seeing the HHS as the lead. So it's, I think there's a lot of benefits to doing that sort of communication with the team, whether that's via you know email or phone calls, just multiple um, domains of keeping folks on the same page. I think the second happy event that we had early on was um, we <clears throat> we decided that one of the first things we were gonna tackle from both a Medicaid perspective and from a behavioral health perspective was really freeing up our work on telehealth. North Carolina had been behind, this had been a priority for us for some time in really unlocking telehealth and making it more available to people. And our team, our teams coalesced around that goal and with the kind of freedom and the mandate and the focus, they moved our telehealth policy Forward, what I say is 10 years in a matter of 10 days time. And I think that was really invigorating, right? I think that's the other piece of things to remember is that some aspect of self care is people having wins, people having successes, and that sort of hope that comes from getting that sort of big stuff done that people care about for the long time, helps people recognize, oh, man, we can use this moment, what I like to call crisis-tunity, to really advance some major priorities and make this good for North Carolina in a lot of different ways. And then I guess my final thing that I would just add is that, you know, we have been trying to, you know, everything we're promoting around health and wellness externally, we've been trying to promote internally, right? So we early on um, made, Behavioral health clinicians available to our staff, Um, you know, in addition through the employee access program, but also just contracting with folks to come in and either to have Zoom call therapy sessions or to reach out to folks. I have been working very hard to try to figure out a way to get therapy dogs. (laughs) And uh, we have, um, we're really proud of our scoop which is our evidence-based kind of mnemonic that helps people remember how to take care of themselves, uh, which I'll just go through quickly. One is S stay connected to friends and family. C have compassion for yourself. Give yourself a break right now and have a compassion for other people. These are stressful times. O is, you know, observe the amount of substances that you're using right now. This is a hard time and it's easy for addictions to develop. for the second O is it's okay to ask for help, you know, the, and, and I always tell my team and I tell everyone I work with that I want to be the person that you can ask for help for if you need help. And then last is get physical to improve your mood. We know how important endorphins are to our wellness. Uh, and so getting outside, moving around, doing whatever is right for you and your body uh, is a great way to keep your mental health in a good space.
0: Cody, that that is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. I love love the SCOOP acronym. I've, I've shared that with you before. I love your term, crisis unities, and can certainly advocate for the communication that's happening not only internally, but also uh, externally, as you have been uh, so, uh, so helpful in sharing your, you know, wins and successes with other states so that hopefully they're able to, to replicate some of this work as well. Um, Jamie, turning to you from, in, from an operational standpoint, what has this been like in Arizona? And, ha- you know, COVID required a major shift to telework very quickly. As your staff transitioned to working from home, What type of feedback have you received from your staff? What have they told you that they need to to stay connected and engaged? And what has it been like for you during this process to respond to that communication that's coming into you?
1: Well, I know Cody touched on a few of the silver linings that they've experienced um, in North Carolina. And I will tell you, um, the shift to telework um, is a silver lining for for Arizona. And so at the beginning of the pandemic, we, as as you mentioned, alluded to, sent everybody home. So we have about 84% of our staff in total working in homework environments, working remotely. Of course, we have a few folks that are remaining on campus Um, to take care of uh, functions that can only um, be taken care of on campus. But the vast majority of our staff are at home. And so quite early on, we started to realize that there were some real benefits um, to our team in terms of of working from a homework environment, a remote environment. And we actually took advantage of the situation to poll the team. So we conducted a survey not only of staff, but also of leaders um, to ask them about their experience working from home. And the results were overwhelmingly positive. Um, team members were realizing savings in terms of not having to pay for gas or um, the level of kind of professional attire that they would have otherwise. Um, they felt like they had more work-life balance, um, additional and more opportunities um, um, to connect meaning in meaningful ways with their family members. And so there are some real pluses um, to working from home. So we've decided actually to maintain 61% of our staff at home permanently, which is allowing us to consolidate from two large buildings on our main office campus into one. Um, and I will tell you again, the um, the. Uh, Response has been overwhelmingly positive, and so we're excited that we're able to take advantage of some of the some of the learning opportunities over the course of the last six months, and not only um, create a higher level of satisfaction for our team members, um, but also generate some savings. But I will tell you, um, it's become crystal clear as we've moved in the direction of a more permanent uh, situation for the the bulk of our staff working at home, that the, and and Cody mentioned this, that communication is really key. And so we have uh, held weekly town halls. Um, I'm doing a weekly all staff communication. Um, The division leaders are also sponsoring regular meetings. Um, One of the things that we've really found of value is to do more frequent check-ins with individual staff members. Um, So folks are using I am, and or whatever the mechanism they're comfortable with to just um, do those check-ins. We also have found that it's really important to maintain some of the other engagement opportunities that we've historically sponsored. Things like book clubs, brown bag lunches. And then probably most importantly, and Cody touched on this as well, is maintaining our commitment to demonstrating appreciation for members of our team. And so um, I'm about April, I think April um, of this year, we actually had uh, community stakeholders, providers, advocacy groups, Create a video thanking access staff for their work over the course of the pandemic, and that was at that moment exactly what the organization needed. Um, they needed to hear from the community as as they worked, you know, twelve to thirteen hours a day, day after day, that their work was making a difference, and so. Um, we've continued to try to um, foster those type of opportunities as well, where we're expressing appreciation to team members um, when they've done exceptional work.
0: Thanks for sharing, Jamie. You know, you, you started out with a high-level example around how you've been able to, you know, miraculously take advantage of the situation and and somehow find budget savings in a time when states are in a budget crisis. (laughs) And then, you know, going down to even what some might consider a small thing like a video that has a huge impact on employee morale and keeps these silver linings front and center during such a a difficult period of time. Um, So my last question for both of you is, what advice would you offer to other public sector sector leaders as they're navigating leadership in this very challenging time? Um, So Cody, I'll start with you and then we'll go to Jamie.
2: Sure. Well, not to steal any airline slogan, but I think we've all heard it said, you have to put your oxygen mask on before assisting others. And and I think that's really important. I think any leader, uh, especially in this moment, is going to care so much about the work that they're doing, so much about how to have impact in uh, this once-in-a-century event, so much about how to take care of their team um, and make sure everyone's okay. But I think it's a really... We have to be really careful to make sure we take care of ourselves and continue to invest in ourselves. I think conversations like this one, listening to podcasts like this, taking time to read articles, to stay on top of what other opportunities are available to us to to do different types of work and ideas with our team. I'm gonna be honest with you, Starting next week, I think I'll be recording of having consumers record a video for my team because Jamie's idea is spot on perfect. And so I think if we have to make sure that we don't chase the next crisis or the next issue ourselves and, and to the detriment of us being ready to take care of our teams. In addition to investing in ourselves as leaders, it also means taking some time off. And that can be really hard, um, especially in the moment like this. But I think it is so important as a leader to demonstrate to your team that not only am I gonna take time off, but i'm not going to check my email because a i care about organizational resiliency right i am not going to own this organization forever i am stewarding it for an amount of time and i need it to be better than when i found it for the long term and if i can never walk away then it will never be better without me and the second thing is that i want my team members to also have that time and to also coach the next generation of leaders and so we have to create that space so vacation time should be about organizational resiliency, taking care of yourself, and then really being able to make our organizations not only capable of responding to this once in a century moment, but really being able to be better off without us in the long haul.
0: So, Cody, thank you. Sounds uh, like first and and foremost, take care of yourself, which uh, I think encompasses a lot of the aspects of this leadership framework that we've talked about in, you know, self-awareness and and resiliency and truly leading by example, which it sounds like you're you're certainly doing in North Carolina.
1: Uh, Jamie, thoughts from you. Well, Cody um, stated exactly what I was planning to talk about in terms of advice to other public sector leaders. And when you think about that other core competency in this area, self-awareness, as you mentioned, Erica, I think um, it becomes crystal clear if you're if you're remaining self-aware um, that you must take care of yourself first in order to um, take care of your team. And so very much along the lines of what, Cody stated, I think our ability to remain resilient as leaders in in public sector environments like we're in, which are incredibly complex and incredibly demanding, um, is that we remember to practice self-care. In doing so, I really feel that it allows me to show up for my team.
0: That's wonderful. Jamie, thank you for reinforcing So uh, I'd like to to wrap up, you know, clearly the two of you exemplify this domain of personal leadership and self-management that is the focus of this uh, episode of, of the podcast. So the two of you have been leading your organizations through an unprecedented time. And in Jamie's words, you've done so by creating a sense of organizational stability, by remaining focused on your organization's missions and values, and the people that your organizations are set up to serve. And you've been doing this not only by managing the very technical aspects of the work, But really prioritizing the human aspect, uh, starting with yourselves, looking to your staff, and most importantly, focusing on the beneficiaries of Medicaid and behavioral health NIDD programs, which is so important to accomplishing your, your mission and goals. So I'd like to thank you both for your time today, for sharing your experience and your wisdom about public sector leadership. And uh, we hope that uh, listeners tune in to the next episode of the Leadership Forward series and look forward to exploring more domains of the public sector leadership framework. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Erica.
2: Thank you. It's been great.